Welcome back to the Flaming Grenade Serial Podcast. Is If this is your first time tuning in, you may want to start at episode one. This is a continuous story. Um, you can go to Amazon and buy the ebook to catch up uh, or to read along or to get ahead. So please consider supporting the author by purchasing the ebook. And now, the Flaming Grenade. Chapter 59, Guangzhou, China. This was getting intolerable, Cheng thought. He couldn't seem to get any competent help, even from his most trusted guys. Li had been out of communication all day, and Cheng had finally learned he was in jail for breaking into a secret laboratory facility. What did that have to do with anything? On top of that, they had a lead to the badges, but hadn't shared the information with anyone yet. During their last contact, Li had reported they were following a lead, but didn't know if it was credible yet. He promised to call as soon as he had any good information. He was arrested before he was able to make any calls. So far, California had been a dead end. Sung called from Sicily after spending the day searching the Chiesa Madre in Trecastani. The old priest was smart. Chung knew he was breaking their deal. He had always intended to, but because of the nature of the agreement, Antonelli held all of the cards. He knew where the items were hidden, and he had nothing to lose through his silence. Chung, on the other hand, had everything to lose, and Antonelli knew it. Chung hated being in this position. He was used to being in the position of power and authority. <clears throat> he always thought things would work out his way because things always had. He was brutal and uncompromising, and he always won. <clears throat> always. The badges had to be in the church. They just had to be. He ordered Sung to resume the search in the morning. He didn't want Antonelli to die, but wanted him to be extremely uncomfortable. He had a feeling Antonelli wouldn't budge, but that didn't mean Chung couldn't make his life miserable in the process. It would serve him right. Chung had a feeling he was going to have to travel to Sicily. He despised traveling, leaving the comforts of his palatial home. At home, everything was in order, exactly as he wished it. In Sicily, he would have to deal with the dirty, incompetent Sicilians. What a disaster this had become. Chapter 60, Trecastani, Sicily, Italy. I woke up lying on my back. The sheet was down around our waist, and Zyra's arm rested across my chest. I turned to look at her, and a strand of her hair tickled my nose. I was a very happy man. It was still dark outside. I wasn't used to the time change yet and knew I wasn't going to fall back to sleep anytime soon. I was also starving. I carefully lifted Zyra's arm and slipped out of bed. The tile floor was cold on my bare feet. I went to the bathroom and quietly shut the door before I turned on the light. I looked at myself in the mirror as I washed my hands. I was looking a bit worn out, I must admit. A lot had happened in the last few days. My cell phone was in the front pocket of my backpack. Luckily, being the tech geek that I am, I had purchased an unlocked phone so that it would work overseas. I knew my call was going to cost a fortune on my U.S. cell phone plan, and I made a mental note to buy a local SIM card the next day. I would just have to use the internet to communicate back to the States, but first I was going to have to suck up the price and call it Robert and then Emily. I was sure they were worried sick about us, especially considering my truck was still parked at work and some Chinese hooligans had crashed through the door. It took me a minute to remember how to dial an international number, and I only remembered the right country code for the States because it was always listed on the calling cards they sell at the gas station. Those were generally advertising cheap calls to Mexico, but they also included instructions on how to use the card from Mexico. You always dial 001 first. The call to Robert Cell was picked up on the second ring, and a frantic Robert answered the phone. Dude, where are you? Hey man, we're cool. We caught an earlier flight, and we're just about to take off for the transatlantic. I told a little white lie, because he didn't need to know about the whole teleportation thing. It was bad enough the two goons saw me disappear in the lab. Hopefully everyone would just think they were crazy and discount their story. 
I'm sure the owner would be able to come up with something to tell the media. Speaking of which, I was a little worried about my job. I mean, I wasn't really authorized to use the teleporter as a personal travel device. But on the other hand, I proved that it worked, and that was worth something, right? Why didn't you call? We've been worried sick, bro. Sorry, man, we didn't have time. In order to catch the earlier flight, we had to board immediately. Hey, what happened to the two dudes, by the way? Uh, apparently the silent alarm alerted the police, and they showed up and found the guys in some lab room. I told the cops about last night, and so they aren't going anywhere. With the charges from last night and stuff from today, they should be looking through bars for a while. Let's hope so. I thought of how much the call was costing me and realized that at that moment I didn't really care. Have you seen Emily? She's right here. Let me put her on. Emily came on the line. Robert, are you all right? How about Z? How's she doing? I chuckled. We're fine. Thanks for your help, by the way. You gave us just the amount of extra time we needed. I was so freaked out, especially when we saw the door to your office. I totally went nuts on some cop's uniform, crying hysterically. And he was cute, too. At that, I knew Emily was just fine. Listen, we gotta board our plane and Z's in the restroom. We'll call you from Italy, okay? Can I talk to Robert again? Robert took the phone from Emily. What's up? How is Ash? Actually, she is doing great, considering. Good. Listen, I think we should meet with your computer guy. Will, will he let me into his virtual room or whatever? Uh, he should. Let me ask him and I'll tell you when you get there. Okay, I'm gonna try and get a local phone there, but I'll probably just email you. So if you set a time with him, just shoot me an email. And don't forget directions. I don't know where to go once I'm in. No problem. Hey, we got a board. Thanks, man. Sure. Bye. Bye. I hung up the phone and just sat there on the toilet. I wasn't exactly clothed to be sitting on a cold toilet with my feet on the cold tile. I really wanted to jump back into our warm bed next to Zyra. I turned out the lights and, after waiting for a moment for my eyes to adjust, walked over and crawled into bed. Zyra rolled onto her side and muttered something in her sleep. I lay awake, thinking about what we were going to do next until I finally drifted off to sleep. Chapter 61, Trecastani, Sicily, Italy Sung woke Archbishop Antonelli up before the sun the next morning. Antonelli ached from sleeping on an unfamiliar bed, and he stretched and groaned, trying to get the blood flowing through his old muscles. He had called his assistant in Catania the night before, making up a story about staying in Trecastani for a day or two at the request of the local priest. Antonelli could tell the assistant didn't quite believe his story, but who was he to question the archbishop? Sung kicked the bed, and Antonelli sat up. They had slept in a Spartan room of bunk beds. The room was seldom used, but originally designed to house visiting priests and monks as they came through town, especially on holy days and during festivals. Nowadays, most stayed in local hotels, but every once in a while, a priest with few wants or needs would still utilize the bunk room. Luckily, the room had been empty the night before, like it had been for weeks. Antonelli made the arrangements and got the key from the local priest. He had insisted the archbishop stay in his quarters, but Antonelli refused stating he was just a humble visitor and as such he would use the visitor's quarters. Antonelli couldn't refuse the man's invitation to dinner. It would have been suspicious. Sung knocked on the side door. Antonelli let him in and then explained that he must attend dinner at the parochial house. Sung didn't like it, but agreed it would create more questions if he did not attend. Sung had made it very clear, however, that should Antonelli not return immediately after dinner, the local priest would be brutally tortured and killed. Antonelli didn't dare take that threat lightly. He excused himself after the final course was served and retired back to the bunk room. Antonelli knelt at the small altar in the corner to say evening prayers and then fell asleep before his head hit the pillow. After what seemed like only minutes, Sung grunted for Antonelli to get moving. When Antonelli didn't immediately respond, Sung vicious, viciously pushed him out of bed. The rough-hewn wooden floor scraped his knees and he cried out involuntarily. Supporting his weight with his right elbow, then hand on the bed, Antonelli slowly rose to one knee, then to his feet. He padded to the toilet, then put on yesterday's clothes, which were hanging on a peg. 
His mouth was dry and he desperately wanted to brush his teeth, but Sung didn't seem to be worried about these small details. We should get some breakfast first, Antonelli said. Sung had to eat, right? We'll go to the cafe near the church. No funny stuff. He sounded like he learned his English from a movie or something. They walked around the corner and down the block to the cafe. Antonelli felt much better after drinking a cafe and getting some food into his stomach. Recognizing the archbishop, the owner of the store refused to let him pay. Antonelli, as was customary, promised to bless the owner in his store. Sun was getting impatient, so Antonelli left the store and they returned to the church. When they got there, Antonelli went to unlock the door and noticed it was unlocked. He knew he had locked it the night before and wondered who could have been in the church. He turned the key anyway, pretending to unlock the door. It may not help him at all, but he figured it was one more thing he knew and Sung didn't. If nothing else, it made Antonelli feel better. Sung began searching the church after asking Antonelli once again where the badges were hidden. Antonelli again refused to answer and busied himself praying and reading from the Bible, trying to ignore the desecration of a sacred chapel. Chapter 62, Half Moon Bay, California. Robert sent a text to Cecil requesting another meeting. In a room off the downstairs hallway in Zyra's house, now Zyra and Robert's house, he found a small study. The room was barely ten foot square. It consisted of a small hardwood writing desk, a small bookshelf, and a stack of plastic crates in one corner. There was no window in the room and no overhead lighting. Robert switched on a desk lamp so he could better see the room. He noticed on the back wall barely visible seams in the outline of a door. The door would have led into the kitchen. He thought about the floor plan of the house and figured the door was right where the refrigerator stood now. The room must have served as some sort of storage or cold pantry before the kitchen was remodeled. The room was kind of quaint. Most people would have just turned it into storage space, but it worked well as a small computer room and study. On the table sat a flat screen computer monitor, keyboard and mouse, and underneath the desk a computer. Wire ran, uh, wires ran up the back leg of the table secured by white zip ties. Robert sat at the desk and powered on the computer. As he waited for it to boot, he glanced at some of the books on the bookshelf. Most of them appeared to be textbooks from Zyra's college classes. The college bookstores always promise that you can return the books at the end of the semester for a decent refund, but in reality, they offered 5 to $10 and a mini chocolate bar. It appeared Zyra had opted just to keep her books. The computer booted up and Robert was relieved there was no password protection to log in. He immediately opened a web browser and logged into the virtual world. When he arrived in Cecil's Dominion, Cecil was sitting on a couch talking to a female avatar. He was talking and the girl began to laugh. Robert coughed and Cecil looked up. When, the C when Cecil recognized the visitor, he shooed the girl away out of his virtual room. Are we alone now? Robert's av avatar asked. Yeah, sorry about that. I was waiting for you and she came asked to come in, so I figured, why not? What's up? Robert sat on the couch and crossed his legs. He began to explain to Cecil what had happened since they last spoke. Cecil listened intently, and Robert could tell he was getting excited about the challenge. Somehow, Cecil's foray into the classified Italian system had been recognized and traced back to the States. Then, someone with great skill had narrowed the search for anyone searching for similar subjects. The person had been able to quickly backtrack through proxy servers to locate and identify Robert, all in a relatively short span of time. It required someone with great skill and resources to, to accomplish all of that so quickly. Cecil loved a challenge. He walked Robert back through the story and interrupted multiple times to clarify a statement or to get more detail. He wanted to know everything he could about this adversary. This was just starting to get interesting. No way this is government-sponsored, Cecil declared. Why not? They acted too quickly and were able to alloc allocate too many resources. Governments take time to react, and there are only a handful of countries on Earth with the resources to set out such a wide net. Even if you take away the legal hurdles a few of the, go of the governments like ours would have to overcome, what would be the point? 
I stole, borrowed an over 60-year-old document from Italian files. The Italians are not organized enough to launch a counterattack so quickly, and frankly, their equipment isn't, shall we say, top of the line. That leaves the United States, Germany, Japan, Great Britain, and possibly China. Who there, but maybe Germany would care about an old World War II era file. You've got a good point, Robert replied. He was beginning to worry. He could easily think of why a state would want the information they had found. It was a motive as old as time, power. But he agreed with Cecil that no government could have responded so quickly and thoroughly. That left private individuals or comp companies even more scary. A multinational corporation could do a lot of damage with unlimited power and control. Do you think you can track them down? Robert knew he could and knew he would, but he had to ask. Dude, I'm already on it. You say the two guys were Chinese? You sure? Well, not completely. I mean, they could have been Korean or something, but I know they weren't speaking Japanese. Uh, don't use your computer for a while. I'm going to hack into it to backtrack your steps and theirs. I'll let you know when I find them. Cool? <clears throat> Great, thanks. Cecil's avatar didn't even bother to exit the building through the door as was customary. It just vanished. Cecil was on the hunt. Robert took a moment to go online and order a case of hillbilly hollerin to be delivered to Cecil's P.O. box. Even Robert didn't know exactly where Cecil lived. Chapter 63. Lingua Losa, Sicily, Italy. Giuseppe was at his wit's end. The Marshallo had been right. They weren't going to get any help or cooperation from headquarters. Giuseppe had been unable to find anyone in Lingua Losa who may have seen or talked to Moretti in the days before her death. When he called the lab, his friend told him all the tests on the Moretti case had been put on the back burner. His friend promised to run some tests when he had time, but they were swamped. He had no leads, no support, and an open homicide case. If he couldn't close it, he would always have an open case on his record, the murder of a fellow Carabinieri officer. It was totally unfair. He knew it, the Marshallo knew it, and Vincenzo knew it, but that didn't mean anyone wanted to have any part in it. New cases continued to come into the office, nothing big, but they still took time away from the Moretti investigation. It was Sunday now, and Giuseppe needed a break. <clears throat> he needed to take an entire day without thinking about Moretti or trying to figure out any new leads or new investigative steps he could take. He didn't quite know how he was going to keep himself distracted, but he walked down the street for a cafe. Seeing Carmela would cheer him up for sure. Also, there was a Calcio-Catania match that afternoon. It was one of the last games of the season, and Catania needed to win to avoid relegation. <clears throat> they were playing Lazio, so it would be a challenging game, but Catania had a better-than-even chance of winning. A draw would make them dependent of the outcome of the Bari-Roma game, which Bari had no chance of winning. Carmela smiled at him when he walked into the bar. She gestured for him to take a seat at one of the few tables set up out on the sidewalk. He did, and she came out a minute later with his pane, chocolato, and café. After placing the food on the table, she stood behind the opposite chair and waited. It took Giuseppe a minute to process this, and he finally realized what she was waiting for. His brain always seemed to stop when Carmela was around. He asked her if she would join him, and then asked if she, if she wanted anything. Her dad owned the joint, but Giuseppe thought it polite to ask. They sat in a surprisingly comfortable silence while Giuseppe ate. As he took the last sip of coffee, he decided he would finally ask her out on a date. He set down the cup and started to speak. Carmela, I was... Carmar Carmela spoke at the same time. Giuseppe, how is... They both stopped speaking, paused, and then started again, speaking over one another. This broke the ice, and they both laughed. Carmel Carmela said, you first. No, no, please, go ahead. She smiled. Well, I was just wondering how your work was going. I know it's been a busy week. Not so good, really, but today is Sunday. Let's talk about something else. I am off duty. This seemed to please her. 
Giuseppe realized she was simply trying to engage in conversation, conversation since he was such a social reject and couldn't seem to find his tongue whenever she was around. Okay, what were you going to say? I was, well, uh, I would like, um, do you want to go out for lunch today? He finally blurted. It is a beautiful day, and I was thinking about going down to Fiume Fredo and eating near the water. She looked taken aback, pleased with the invitation, but surprised. I need to see if my father will be all right without me, but yes, I would love to go. She knew Mario would close the bar for lunch if he had to, had to just to make sure she went out with Giuseppe, but she went inside to ask anyway. Giuseppe didn't need to know they had been waiting for him to ask for weeks. They agreed to meet in a couple of hours, and Giuseppe left the bar in a much better mood. It was going to be a good day after all. Halfway down the block, however, he realized what he had done. The butterflies in his stomach fluttered wildly, and panic set in, his palms sweating and his heart racing. What was he going to say? Would he make a fool of himself? He drove to the bar at the agreed-upon time, double-parked at the curb, and walked in to let Carmela know he was there. As he waited, Vincenzo came running into the store. He was on duty that Sunday and was in his uniform. Giuseppe, I'm glad I caught you. Just then, Carmela came out from the back room wearing a silk blouse, pants, and boots. She carried a jacket in her arms. What is it, Enzo? We're leaving. There's a man waiting for you at the office. I'm off duty. Tell him to come back tomorrow. No, you don't understand. He is a special investigator from headquarters, from the unit. What unit? Vincenzo, you're not making any sense. The unit! Vincenzo looked around like he was saying too much. He walked closer to Giuseppe and whispered in his ear, The covert operations unit, and he wants to speak with you now. Giuseppe's shoulders sagged. His good day had just turned sour. No one offers any help or support all week, and then on his day off, when he finally asks Carmela on a date, someone shows up wanting his immediate attention. Just great. <clears throat> he turned to Carmela, who looked just as disappointed. Mi dispiace. I'm so sorry, but I have to go. Carmela nodded and said she understood. You look beautiful. At this, she smiled. If you are finished by dinner, please come and eat with us. I'll call you soon so you will know. Maybe it won't take long. Will you wait? Of course, we will be waiting. Sounds great. I will call you and let you know. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Flaming Grenade Serial Podcast. Please subscribe, share, and if you're enjoying it, please uh, rate the podcast or leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. Um, you can reach me there or at the Flaming Grenade uh, at Gmail. Thanks for listening.